every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be holy. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. All right, well, this is the, uh, the final week in our little series here that we've been doing on prayer. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been doing a series on prayer. Uh, and so here's why. Uh, we had about a two-hour orientation on Tuesday the 1st before we started this uh, little gig we call The Furnace. But realistically, uh, we've taken these last or these first three weeks um, have kind of been an extended orientation into why we are going to be doing what we're doing for the next nine months together. And so being a part of prayer meetings obviously is a big part of that. But we wanted to really hit on the topic of prayer and talk through that. Uh, just because as we're coming every night together to pray, uh, we figure it's probably good for you to know why we're doing that. And uh, so anyway, I want to just go with that a little bit more tonight. Uh, and So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 1. Acts 1, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Dr. Luke writing. He says, uh, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, which I do like that because Jesus had a resurrected body at this point, and he was eating with them, gives me hope for good food in heaven. Just throw that that out there. Uh, On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Uh, that, that, that's the story of the beginning of who we are today. That's the story of the beginning of the church. Time out one second. Hey, Kenny, I forgot to put on the other microphone. Am I good to use this one? Okay. Um, that's the story of, of Jesus ascending into heaven, telling his disciples, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And I, I think it's interesting that they go, and Acts 1, 14 tells the story. They go to Jerusalem. They walk from the Mount of Olives it's a day's walk. Uh, for those of you that have been before, it's a very steep hill. I'm sure they enjoyed walking down it more than up it. Uh, I think it's two days walking up the Mount of Olives. It's pretty, it's like an 80 degree angle. Anyway, uh, and so they walked to Jerusalem and, and they all went into this upper room and they met together to pray. And they spent time in prayer all together. The, the important thing here, as, as most all of you, I'm sure, know, as you read Acts, uh, they, go, they then go, and so they pray together. They then elect another disciple to take Judas' to spot. And, and then in Acts 2, Acts 2, right after they have this upstairs prayer meeting, is when Pentecost happens. Pentecost happens as a result directly after their prayer time together. As they joined together as the disciples, Jesus said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. They went, they prayed together, and then Pentecost happened. 
I just want to let you know a big reason. Pentecost, by the way, I would call it the first revival. And actually, a re- it was a really good one, you know, fire, tongues, and whatnot. Um, and so I, I think a, lot, a big reason why we do what we do, why we come together to pray, why, we, why the, the heartbeat of what the furnace is about, when we started this thing, the reason we started was because we wanted to see God move in our day and our time. We wanted to see a move of God on planet earth. We wanted to see, you can call it what you want. You can call it revival. You can call it a renewal. You can call it whatever it is you want to call it. We want, you can say Pentecost again. You can say, you know, Acts 2009. I don't know what you want to call it, but whatever you want to call it, we want to see God move on planet earth in our lifetime. We want to see people come to know him. We want to see the sick healed. We want to see eyes that are blind opened. We want to see lives that are trashed be redeemed. This is, what, this is the reason that we gather together to pray. Last week, I talked a lot about the idea of our honor of, of being able to partner with God in, in, in His work on planet Earth through prayer. And that's one of the exciting things that we get to do is He's extended to us the invitation to partner with Him. I love in John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says this, looking at his disciples, he says, as long as, it is, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I love that because Jesus looks at them and he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of the one who sent me. He doesn't look at them and say, as long as, it's, as, long as we can see, as long as it's daytime, that's, what that, that's representing the idea that you can work during the day. At night you can't. Jesus was saying, I'm here. I'm soon leaving. But he looks at them and he says, as long as I'm here, we can do the work of the one who sent me. And to me, as I read that verse, I, I love it because to me, that's Jesus it, 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 explaining the invitation that has been given to us to partner with him. It's not just about God doing things on planet earth. We get to partner with him. As long as it is day, let us do the work of the one who sent me. Last week I went through the, uh, the idea or the, the story in 1 Kings of Elijah. Uh, it's a pretty fun story. I, I, I love that story. I love the idea of him coming out and, and, and immediately calling down fire from heaven. That's a, that's a great story. I want to give us, there's really three things I want to talk about tonight. As, as kind of these are three more essentials or three more, uh, whatever you want to call them. But three things that as we join together in prayer meetings that I want us to each know. Uh, this, to me, it's three different types of prayer. These are three different types of prayer that I want us to be about. The first one is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer, this is, uh, this is a fairly common topic talked about here. This is a fairly common thing that we go through. Uh, most all of you have probably heard at some point or another, someone from the furnace talk about some kind of verse from Luke 18 or Matthew 7, 7. Uh, and so we've all probably heard that whether it's at desperation or at the gathering or at tag or at the mill, this is a common theme throughout our story here as the furnace is the idea of persistent prayer. And I really want to talk about that tonight because last week I shared from, from where Elijah sets out and he looks at these, these, uh, these priests from, from, of Baal and, and they're calling out to their God and he's not answering them. Elijah comes up, says four sentences and bam, fire falls from heaven. And I want to look at you and say that that happens every time. But the truth of it is, as we talk tonight, let's just be honest, most all of us know that not every time, I don't have to just whisper forth four sentences, and bam, I see it happen right away. Let's keep reading. Uh, if, if you're in your Bible, open to, or turn to 1 Kings 18 again. We're going to go back to Elijah. 1 Kings 18. I'm going to start in verse 40. This is right after. Well, actually, I'll start in 39. I'll pick up where we ended last week. This is kind of the last time on 1 Kings 18. Uh, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Which, by the way, let me say, I don't know if I said this last week, but that is what happens when we, get, when we pray the will of God and we see Him move, is people repent and come to Him. So, anyway, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then verse 40. Then, I'm just going to read uh, 40 through 46. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the, to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. 
this is obviously not a morality story. Uh, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for is the, there is the sound of heavy rain. Remember, Elijah's the guy that looked at Ahab three and a half years before and said, it's not going to rain. We're going to be in a drought. Uh, for three and a half years, it hadn't rained. Ahab thinks that Elijah is the troublemaker of all of the land. And so he looks at him and he says, King Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black and clouds, or black with clouds and the wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and I love this. And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I love that story. It's right after, right after he has this big moment where all the, all the priests, and he had this showdown on Mount Carmel, and they look out, and, and so fire falls from heaven, licks up all the water. The people bow down, say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then they go, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Then Elijah looks at, at, at Ahab and he says, I hear the sound of rain. And he goes and he gets on his knees. He places his head between his legs and he begins to pray. He begins to pray for the, rain, for, for the Lord to send rain. And, uh, and so he's praying and then he sends his servant. And he says, go check, go look up on the horizon. And so the, the servant went up and he looked out and, and likely as he was out on Mount Carmel, he looked over the sea and he was looking at, and he came back and he said, there's nothing there. And, and Elijah at this point probably was a little discouraged because, see, it was but 10 minutes ago that he said fire fall from heaven and fire fell from heaven. So why now when he says rain fall from heaven is nothing there? So he tells the servant, go back. The servant goes back. Comes, reports to him. I got nothing. He says, do it again. Comes back. Still Nothing. I can only imagine, we've already learned a little bit of who Elijah is. We've already learned his, his kind of personality type. This is the guy that was talking trash to 350 guys. And so uh, I can only imagine that at this point, he's like a little frustrated. And he's like, man, what is going on? I said firefall and God sent fire. Now I'm crying for rain. And God, I know that you want it to rain. Why is it not raining? Seven times he sends his servant back. Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. On the seventh time, the servant returned and says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah then looks at King Ahab. He says, load up in your chariot and head on to Jezreel. And I, I love the next part. I love the fact that, so, so then the, the cloud darkens and it starts to rain. And I, I just, I, I love the picture. It, I don't even know why it's in the Bible. I really don't know what the, the point of it is. But I love the picture of, of Elijah pulling up his skirt, tucking it into his belt and running in the rain and mud, so he's probably doing like, he's probably all high knee in it, you know, and, and he runs past the chariot. This is a bad moment for Ahab, okay? It was one thing to have all of his prophets lose. Then all of his prophets were slaughtered. And now the old dude tucked his skirt in his belt and is outrunning my horse? This is not very, I, I, I'm sure Ahab was not loving this moment. And like I said, I don't fully know why that's in there, but I just like it. I like, I think that, you know, Hussein Bolt maybe has this sometimes, you know, like we're going to see next Olympics, he'll tuck in his cloak. But, you know, the, the, it's just, I mean, Elijah outruns the chariots down to Jezreel. That's a fun part of the story. It really has nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight, but it's certainly fun. But when you look at Elijah, here he is, he has this great moment where he, it's this epic moment where he's, he prays and God answers his prayer immediately. And but moments later, he prays and nothing happens. I think I would venture to guess that most of us feel that that happens to us. We feel like sometimes we come and pray and great things happen. And sometimes we pray and nothing happens. And I just love the tenacity of Elijah because I think if I had just prayed for fire to fall and fire fell from heaven, 
I think that I would start to assume that whatever I say goes. And if maybe I pray something and it doesn't happen, easy assumption, God must not want to do that. Because when I prayed for God to do what he already wanted to do, it happened immediately. But Elijah didn't take that, spot, that, that stance. No, he said, servant, go back. Check it again. Check it again. Seven times. Seven times. He was persistent in his prayers. He wouldn't give up. Go to, Ma- uh, go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 21. Again, I'm going to read this story. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of, I don't know how to say that, Tyre and Sidon. Sidon. It probably is not right. Uh, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is a weird story to me. I think this is a very weird story, actually. Okay, here's this Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus, and she, her daughter is suffering from demon possession. And so look at what she says to Jesus. She says, son of David, have mercy on me. So what that means is by addressing him as son of David, she recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. She recognizes that he is the Messiah come to planet earth to rescue the people. She comes, she says, son of David, have mercy on me for my daughter is suffering from demon possession. And I think it's so strange that Jesus doesn't answer her a word. He ignores her. She comes to him. She's like, son of David, Lord, have mercy. And Jesus ignores her. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up at a good church where I went to Sunday school. And I learned that God always answers prayer. Always. If I pray, God's going to answer. It may be yes. It may be no. It may be maybe. But he always answers. I mean, it may be a green light. It may be a red light. It may be a yellow light. But he always gives you an answer. Here this woman is, she comes before him and she says, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. And he ignores her. She's calling, I don't know what I would do. Now, I do know that most of us, probably at some point or another, have felt like God is ignoring our prayers. And this lady is crazy. Because when I know that God is ignoring me, I think there's a reason and I stop talking. If God's ignoring me, surely, okay, dude, my bad, Jesus. Sorry, didn't mean to bug you. So then I love the disciples. I love them because they're so human. I can't wait to hang with them in heaven. They're going to be angry with me for how many times I make fun of them. Here's what they do. They come up to Jesus and they're like, dude, Jesus, bro, this lady is getting on our nerves. You're ignoring her and she's not going away. So here's what she's doing. She's coming and asking us. Yeah, I know, right? Like we have time for that. Can you just send her away? And here's what I think Jesus did. I don't know initially why he ignored her. It could be because he knows everything. (laughs) Just possibly. So the disciples come up and they're like, bro, this girl is so annoying. Send her away, please. And I think Jesus looks at them and he's like, idiots. He's like, I'm going to teach these guys a little lesson. Now, I don't know this. I don't know that this is what happened in Jesus' brain. But he's like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to teach these guys a little bit of a lesson. So what he does is he, he answers. They say, dude, send her away. So he answers. And he looks at her and he's like, hey, not here for you. Okay, it's one thing for God to ignore you. I think all of us have probably felt ignored at some point. You're praying and you feel like God's not answering. And you're like, God, do you even hear me? Are you ignoring me? But I've never had God look at me and say, Dan, not here for you, buddy. Hey, you're on your own for this one. At that moment, if that was to happen to me, here's what I'm I'm, I'm in the prayer meeting. I'm pacing because that's what, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm pay, maybe I'm rocking. I'm praying fervently, so I'm probably rocking while I'm pacing. 
and I'm asking, and, and I feel like, I'm, God, why are you ignoring me? God, why? And he's like, dude, I'm not here for you. Oh, okay. And I leave. I mean, if God says to you, I'm not here for you, done. That's it. I got you. Message understood, you know? This lady is crazy, though. She doesn't. She, keeps, she comes back to him. It says that the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. Then Jesus looks at her and is like, it is not right to give the children's food to dogs. Okay. God ignores me. I can handle it. If he tells me he's not here for me, I'm hurt. But maybe I want to come again and ask him. But if he were to call me a dog, he insults the woman. First he ignores her. Then he says, lady, I'm not here for you. Now he insults her. He calls her a dog. He's like, dog, go away. Shoo. And here's her response. She says, yes, but even dogs get the scraps from the table. And Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, you have great faith. Go, your daughter is healed this very hour. Here's what I think is interesting about that story. I don't really think Jesus was being mean. I don't think that Jesus didn't like this lady and didn't want to answer her prayer. And eventually she just bugged him enough that he did it. See, from moment one, Jesus could see in her eyes that she wasn't stopping. He could see it because this was a woman. She wasn't asking for a new car. She wasn't asking for, for, you know, a little bit more money to be added to her paycheck. She wasn't asking to be able to pass the test that she didn't study for. Here was a woman that was before Jesus whose daughter was possessed by demons and he was her only hope. And he saw in her eyes, this one wants it. And so he ignores her, but really he's saying, come on, come on, come on. And then he says, no, you know, I'm, I'm only here. He, doesn't, he says, I'm, I'm only here for, for this lost sheep of Israel. But he's saying, come on, keep asking. Come on. How much do you want this? How much do you love your daughter? And he says, and then she's, he looks at her again. He's like, woman, it's not right to give the good gifts. You don't deserve it. And he's like, come on. How much do you love her? How much? And she's so far. She's kneeling before him, yelling. In, in, a, in, a, in a humble position, kneeling, already humbled herself. Now she admits, yes, I'm a dog. I don't care. Call me a dog. Even dogs get scraps. This woman loved her daughter, and she wouldn't give up. It's the, it's the desperation band song, Refuse to be Denied. This woman refused to be denied. She wouldn't take no for an answer. I don't think Jesus was being mean. I think possibly he was teaching his disciples a lesson. And more, I think he was teaching all of us. Keep coming, keep coming, keep asking. Friends, sometimes you're going to pray and God's going to answer immediately. Sometimes it's going to feel like, oh, so good. I said, I said a prayer and boom, it happened. And sometimes it's not. And in that moment, how you respond reveals your heart. When you're crying out, for those people that, have, that are suffering in human trafficking. Are you going to pray once and if you don't hear anything, do you stop? Or is your heart broken enough that you're going to keep coming, keep coming, keep asking? When you're praying for all the single pregnant teenagers and you're asking for salvations, are you going to stop after you feel like God's ignoring you or you feel like he maybe said no? How much of a burden is there in your heart to see God move? How hungry are you? Keep coming, keep asking, keep asking. This isn't one isolated event. Luke 18, Luke 18, verse one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I think even right there, I mean, we can stop. Jesus gave a parable to say, always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. 
so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable so that his disciples will always pray and not give up. This is a a secret in the kingdom. Or not a secret like nobody knows it, but a key. Keep asking. Keep coming. Always pray. Don't give up. There's going to be nights when you're in in this room in in a prayer meeting and you're not going to feel like you're seeing any answers. You're going to feel like I've been coming here for two months and every prayer meeting I prayed the same thing. God, will you ever answer? Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep asking. Don't stop. Persistent prayer matters. It's important. And that's something that I really hope that through the course of of your, not, not just this year, through your life, that you're a person that is marked you're like the Canaanite widow. You're like the Canaanite woman who so loves the, the cause that she's not going to give up. That you so have a passion to see your mom and dad come to know the Lord. You so have a passion to see a move of God on planet earth. You have a passion to see healings. You have a passion for these things. You have a passion to see people come to Jesus that you're going to keep asking even when you're discouraged even when it seems like he's ignoring or not answering. First thing that's really important is persistent prayer. Second thing, I want to talk about unified prayer. Unified prayer. This is a fun one, actually. Unified prayer. John 17, verse 11. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And then John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus here is praying for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, be, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed for unity amongst believers. Jesus' last prayer on planet earth was that we would be unified, that all who believe in him would be one, that there would be unity. I think unity is really important. We hear unity talked about all the time, but I think it's more than just so that we all get along. I don't think that ultimately Jesus, his last prayer was just so that we could get along and be happy. He says right here, the reason he prays for unity is so that others would come to know him. That's a big reason why we need to be unified. Jesus prayed that we would be unified. But here's the interesting thing. I'm going to, we're going to do a lot of Bible here tonight. I hope that's okay. I assume it should be. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. I want to read this. We talked about this at orientation. We talked about the, the uh, conflict resolution model shown in Matthew 18. I want to read it. If your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault, just, be, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a really clean way of, of reconciliation. If you have, again, we've talked about this before, but if you look, it's the offended person who is the one that is responsible to go do the reconciliation. It's not the sinner, it's the offended person. And Jesus says, if you've if you got a problem with someone or someone's done something to offend you, you go to them. If that doesn't work, take a buddy with you and go to them. If that doesn't work, go to leadership. And if that doesn't work, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I just want to say real fast, a little side note here. This is often interpreted as saying, uh, if they still won't listen, then cast them out. Essentially, you know, treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them, you know, essentially like excommunicate them. That's kind of the way this verse is usually presented. But I, want to, I just want to take a real quick to think about how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? 
If this is Jesus talking, he doesn't look at them saying, hey, if after three times they're still not getting it, just toss them to the side. I think, I think, if you look at Jesus' life that he modeled, probably what he's saying is, if they still aren't responding, then here's what you got to do. You got to treat them the way I treat tax collectors. Love them, even when they don't deserve it. So he looks at them, he says, and, and he gives a model for reconciliation. But here's what I find so intriguing. Verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by, the, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Huh. Jesus gives a model for reconciliation. Right before he talks about this, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I think it begs the question, are these verses that we read here really about prayer? When we say anything you ask in my name will be given to you, are these, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, are these really about prayer? I mean, they direct, they, they follow right after this, this model that Jesus gives us of how to reconcile with people. And he says, I tell you the truth, relating it back to what he had just said. And he goes on to talk about prayer. Or at least that's what we normally say. Is this really about prayer? There's a lot of people who think it's not. There's a lot of people who think that this whole section is about church discipline. I think the most common is that we all claim this as prayer. We claim this, it says, if, you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come into my name, there I am. Most people claim that as prayer. Some people say, no, the whole thing is, is just about church discipline because prayer isn't even talked about in the whole. The word prayer isn't said in all of Matthew 18. Therefore, this is just about church discipline. I, I kind of think it's both. I think that Jesus really is talking about reconciliation. And I really think he's talking about prayer. But I really think that they're connected. They're not, in, they're not separate. When he says, therefore, I tell you the truth, he's connecting what he's about to say with what he just said. He just said about being in right standing with your brother or sister. And now he goes on to talk about prayer. And it's interesting. Uh, Matthew 18, 19. I just want to read this. Uh, this is from the Young's literal translation. And so what this is, is this is... Uh, written in 1890. This, this translation of the Bible came out, I think, in 1890. And it's a translation that tries to essentially take it straight from Greek into English. So it doesn't sound very pretty. And it, sometimes it's, when it's uh, your NIV Bible will be in the present tense or the past tense. And really in Greek, it was written in a different way. I don't need to get into all that. But it's, it's the literal translation as best possible into English. Here's what Matthew 18, 19 says. Again, I say to you that if two of you may agree on earth concerning anything, whatever they may ask for, it shall be done to them from my Father who is in the heavens. For where there are two or three gathered together to my name, there I am in the midst of them. Okay, here's what this says. I, I really think it's interesting. If two of you may agree on earth concerning anything, whatever they may ask for, it shall be done to them from my Father who is in heaven. Watchman Nee says it this way. Watchman Nee was a Chinese writer. He got saved, I think he was 19 or 20, um, was a pastor, went to jail, spent most of his life. He was imprisoned for being a Christian, spent most of his life in prison. He says, if we are in harmony, catch this, if we are in harmony concerning any matter, then our Father in heaven will accomplish whatever we ask concerning a particular matter. This is the oneness of the body, the oneness in the Holy Spirit. I, this is really interesting to me. Here's what he's saying, Matthew 18, 19, he's saying. We say, if two, of three, if, if two or three of you get, if two of you agree about anything in my name, whatever you ask, I will give it to you. That's how we read it, and, uh, and that's what we preach. Hey, if two of us agree about anything, then that's what's going to happen. But all of us as practitioners know that you've been in prayer before with a buddy, agreed about the outcome, and not seen it. There's a lot of people that have agreed about a certain outcome and haven't seen it. 
So what, 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 uh, if you read it in the literal translation, and what Watchman Nee is saying, and I'm not saying that this is what this verse is saying, but I'm saying, is it possible that what it is saying is, if you agree about everything, then ask me anything. If you look at it, if you read it in, 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 that, in, the, in the literal translation, what it's saying is if you are essentially in complete harmony with your brother, if there is no beef between the two of you, if you've worked out everything between the two of you, if there's no frustration, if there's no, if you, if you, there's no offense between you, if you are completely unified together, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Now, I know that's a stretch. I don't know. I, I, I'm saying is this a possibility? But here's what I want to do. I want to read some other scriptures. Is that okay? I want to look at other Bible verses. And I found an interesting trend. In Matthew 6, when Jesus is asked to teach the disciples how to pray, this is what he says. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how he says you should pray. But look at verse 14. He doesn't even say amen. He goes straight into, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Teach us to pray. What does he talk about? He talks about prayer, and he talks about reconciliation with the brother. In Matthew 18, what is he talking about? He talks about reconciliation with a brother or sister that's wronged you, and then he goes right into prayer. Mark eleven twenty five. Uh, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Romans 15, 7. May God who gives us endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as you follow Christ so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. it's, It's this weird trend when you look at the Bible. Oftentimes, prayer and reconciliation are partnered together. Now, here's what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to go so far tonight as to say that, that, that what, where, where if, if you have no beef, if, there's no, if everything is right, then ask anything and, and God will give it to you. But here's what I will say. It is obvious there's a fingerprint in the Bible that reconciliation with our brothers and sisters and prayer go together. And so friends, when we talk about doing the Matthew 18 model, when we talk about when you're offended at someone, going to them, when we talk about when someone sins against you, going to them, when you sin against someone, going to them, there is reason for it beyond you just feeling good. There is reason beyond having reconciliation and unity among believers beyond just us liking each other and not having drama. And the reason is that when we are unified together as Jesus prayed, there is power in our prayers. So I want to encourage you, go kind of research this out, pray about this, ask the Lord on this. But, but I believe if you look, it's, it's crazy to me how much prayer and reconciliation with your brother and sister is partnered together. And so here in the furnace, in this, in this culture, in this community, we want to be people that are unified in prayer. What does that mean? That means that if you have someone that, that you know you've sinned against, go to them quickly. If you have a problem with someone, go to them quickly. Not just for your own sake. Now, mind you, it will be good for you. You do need to do that for your own sake. But for the sake of us being unified together in prayer, so that when we meet in this room and we cry out to God, there's no problems, there's not drama. We're unified in our lives, therefore we're unified in our prayer. That's a big idea. And it's something I really want to encourage you to do. 2 Corinthians 5.18 from the Message Bible says this. The old life is gone. The new life begins. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God settled the relationship between us and him. And then he's called us to settle relationships between each other. Friends, it is vital in this community, in this group of people, that we are unified together that we pray together, that we don't have issues and problems between. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. I'm not say, Jesus makes it very clear that you will have disagreements. It's not that disagreements aren't going to happen, but how do you respond when they do? 
We need to be a people that are unified together. I want us to fully operate in this Matthew 18 model, and I want us to extend it beyond the, the typical uh, where we talk about, you know, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. I want us to move it down to verse 20, where the reason that we go and we reconcile between our brothers and sisters is so that we can be unified together in prayer. If Jesus connects the two, I think the least we can do is connect the two and say that there must be something to this. I want us to have unified prayer together. There's tons of verses in the Bible on unity. There's tons of verses about uh, reconciling to one another. I think it is, is very, very important. And then the third thing that I want us to be about is continuous prayer. Continuous prayer. We all know the verse. Pray continually, shortest verse in the Bible. I love, where, I, I love how it reads, that for this is God's will for your life. I think that's pretty important for all of us to understand and get, that to be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for your life, from 1 Thessalonians. I think that's really important. We need to be a people that are praying all the time. But I don't want it to, I, I, that's kind of a big idea. And I want to break it down a little bit more. As you all know, or are learning, when we started the furnace, we were heavily inspired by a group of refugees in Germany. A group of people called the Moravians. Uh, There's a bunch of poor homeless people who didn't have anything, and were looking for a place to live. I just want to tell you a little bit of their story. Most of you know it. Um... They, they, they found this guy, his last name was Zinzendorf. I'll call him Zinzendorf because Ludwig von Zinzendorf, Ludwig, whatever. They found him. He said, you can live on my land. They, they had this community, and uh, they were all living together. And we all know what happened. We all know the story about that they led, eventually the, the Moravians started a, a prayer meeting, and they did night and day prayer, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It lasted 100 years. That's not, there's nothing new in that story to us. But I think it's really interesting what happened, how, the, the lead up to it. See, there was a big coup right before all this went down. There was a big, uh, there, there, there was a fight. There, 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 was, there was disunity, if you will. There was one guy calling the rest of them heretics. And, and the, the whole community, there was only 100 of them, and the whole community was up in arms. So they got together one night. Zinzendorf actually moved his family from, the, from their mansion. He was 27 years old. He had a wife and a kid. And he moved his family from the mansion to the village, to a small apartment in the village, because he wanted to, because he felt like he needed to live amongst the people as the lord of the, of the land in order to, to calm down the, the uprising that was happening. And uh, so he called a town meeting, if you will, a village meeting one night. And they, at that night, they stood together and had a night where they just had a time of repentance to one another. Where they repented for false accusations. Where they repented for uh, gossiping. They repented to each other. And it was that year, 1727, that they began a prayer meeting started in a place of repentance with one another. Then they moved to a place where they said, we want to join together and pray. They started, they had 24 of them, or 24 men, 24 women. They had 48 people total. They started round-the-clock prayer. Um, it was in their houses. They started this prayer. Uh, they would do hour watches at a time in their houses. And then uh, pretty soon it moved to where they were meeting together, a few of them at a time, to partner together in prayer. And, they found, and, and it became where it was in the location. And they started this prayer meeting that just didn't stop. And it went around the clock for 100 years. And as, as we all know, this, this prayer meeting spawned the first missions movement. It was from this prayer meeting that they decided, you know what? We don't want to just pray for this. There are actual people out there that need to know Jesus, that need, that need the gospel. And if no one else will go, then we'll send our own. So they started sending them out. And over, throughout the hundred years, 
they sent over 1,000 missionaries, or 3,000, sorry, 3,000 missionaries. This is a community of 100 people. And as they grew, they were able to send out 3,000 missionaries. It's a pretty big deal. I read Luke 18. Uh, in verse 7, it says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? They prayed round the clock. David, King David, built a tabernacle. They had worshipers and prayers that prayed around the clock in the tabernacle. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Isaiah 62, 6 through 7 says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Psalm 132, 1 through 3. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord and a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. I want this to be the kind of people that we are. The kind of people that say, we will allow no sleep to our eyes, no slumber to our eyelids until we see God move on planet Earth. I meant to, I meant to bring my book. I, I, I was reading a book called The Lord of the Ring. It's the story of the Moravians. And uh, there's a paragraph in there that I was going to read for you. Uh, but I didn't bring it. But it, it's the it's it was in their their like newspaper uh, the week before they started, and it basically said, uh, "We have an enemy who has been around for a long time, and he attacks us day and night, all the time. Therefore, the church who is still young needs protection. So what we're going to do is we are going to start." a 24-hour day and night prayer effort. And we wanted to tell you so that God may stir in your heart if you wanted to be a part. I was in the newspaper. I mean, there's 100 people. I was in the newspaper the week before. Probably wasn't even a newspaper. I'm sure there wasn't a sports section. But, friends, the, the heart of the Moravians that said, we, will, we don't want to stop. We have an enemy who is crouching who is, who is like a lion wanting to devour us. He's been around longer than we have, and so we must contend in prayer. And they, they sent it out to the community, and they said, we want this to stir in your heart to see if you want to be a part. We have a buddy. I have, I have a buddy who came, and we used to do a program in the summer called Desperation Summer Intensive. And, uh, and so it was a two-week-long program for high school students uh, to come out and be a part and uh, it, was, it was really crazy. Uh, we slept in tents, and so it rained on us, and we got no sleep. And uh, it, was, it, it, was, it, was an, it was a good time. Um, but it was just two weeks of about 60, uh, you know, a couple years we had 60, 70, 80. Uh, I think one year we had about 100 high school kids. that just came for two weeks, and it was like the anti-church camp. I mean, it was like, we are going to do nothing, but uh, there's no midnight hikes on this thing. There's no, I mean, we're not, we're not having any games. I mean, this is, we're coming to, this was 80 high school kids that said, we want to give our summer to intensely following after Jesus with all we have. And, uh, and so, I mean, we put these kids through it. We had early morning prayer meetings, late night prayer meetings. We prayed through the night. We, I mean, it was, we had, it was like services. I mean, I don't even know how they made it. But there's one guy who came. He came uh, two or three years. And um, when he graduated, I, I went out with him and I talked to him. And uh, I said, what are you doing when you're, when you're done with high school? I said, because the Lord is telling me that you need to move here and be a part of something like the furnace. That wasn't really the Lord telling me, but uh, that's what I wanted. And he said, no, Dan. He said, I love, I love this, but, um, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to go to school. I feel like I'm supposed to go to a secular school. And, uh, and be Jesus on that campus. So he did. He went to a school that is widely known for being one of the highest party schools in America. Aren't they all? Uh, I think every school claims that. I think they think it gets them recruits. Anyway, uh, but he went, to, he went to a really big school. I think it's 90,000 people, 80,000 people. And, um, and he went and uh, he was a little crazy. 
and he wanted to see God move. And so he started getting together a couple friends and they started praying on their campus and they started contending for God to move on their campus and they started, they, they got all the Christian groups together and had a, uh, had a prayer rally and pretty soon they decided that they wanted to launch a uh, 24-hour prayer on their campus for their school. And so they did. It was just a group of college students on a secular university campus. Met in a room. They, they, they tried to have live worship whenever they could. They didn't always. Sometimes it's a CD. And they were having people. They, they were going around the clock on a secular campus praying for God to move. They were having non-Christians walk into the room and, and fall on their knees before the Lord. They were having people walk in that were sick and being healed immediately. They were seeing God move. Just a kid. He said, I'm going to go. And he said, I'm going to go as a freshman and make an impact on my university. And he did it. But another buddy, he came and he was in the furnace back in when we started. And uh, he was here for a couple years and then he went home. And uh, I really haven't heard from him over the last five, six years. I haven't heard much from him. And I just got a report the other day. Uh, from one of my friends who went and had a conversation with him, and he told me about him. And he said, he's gone back home, and uh, he actually now is working, he's a part of his church, and he, he, he leads men's discipleship. And, uh, and what he's done is he's gone ahead and actually he created a website where he coordinates uh, 24-hour prayer 52 weeks out of the year by different churches for the state. And so they did it for all of 2008. He, he wanted to get 52 churches to, to claim one week of continuous prayer and, uh, and, and go for all of 2008. When the end of 2008 coming, they just had people that wanted to keep going, so now they're doing 2009. I went on his website today. They have every week filled up for this year, of, except for the last three weeks of the year, which I'm sure at some point they will fill up those three weeks. He's a kid. He's, he's 24 years old. He, want, he made a website. And started making some phone calls. And now his state has round-the-clock prayer by churches. He has well over 50 churches involved in praying round-the-clock. It's pretty exciting. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we believe. I don't know that there is anything overtly special uh, when I talk about, the, you know, I mean, we all know in Kansas City, they're doing round-the-clock prayer. Uh, all over the world, there's boiler rooms with 24-7 prayer. Uh, I don't know how much of the 24-hour-a-day thing matters, but I do think it's a pretty big deal. And I think that there's something that God is doing on planet Earth uh, today in prayer. And um, so this summer, as Amy and I prayed about the furnace, uh, as we prayed about where we're going... I felt like the Lord told us that uh, as the furnace, we need to start a prayer room. Um, and that we need to start doing this. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know exactly when we're going to start. But we're in the process. I'm meeting with, my, with the team. And we're in the process of planning a, a furnace prayer room uh, where we want to get, eventually, we want to build up to having round-the-clock prayer in the furnace. And, uh, and so what does that look like exactly? Um, I think initially, I, I'm asking that every one of you seated in this room, everyone in this program, buy in. And uh, ultimately, one day, I, I think this thing will run itself. But at the beginning, I, I want you to catch the vision. I'm, I'm essentially sending out the newsletter saying, here's what God's doing. I wanted to tell you so he can stir in your heart and, and jump on board. Uh, so we're going to start a prayer room this semester at some point. And we'll, give you, we'll keep you updated, obviously. Um, and we want to go, uh, I think we're going to start trying to go 18 hours a day filling a prayer room. Uh, it, it'll be primarily, it'll be a missional prayer room where we're crying out for a move of God on planet earth today. Um, so what does that mean as far as your furnace prayer requirements and go to three prayer meetings? What do you have? Do you have to go to like 12 hours in the prayer room? Yes. No. Uh, essentially, I, there's enough of us in here. I mean, they, the Moravians, this is going back to our Moravian roots. And... Uh, and they started with 48 people, and we have more than 48 in here. And so uh, I think what we're going to ask is when we actually get this up and running, that we have, uh, that each of you commit to continuing on your six hours of prayer a week, doing a couple prayer meetings and trying to get at least two hours in the prayer room. Um, I'd love for as many of you as possible to still do three prayer meetings and six hours in the prayer room. Whatever God puts on your heart, I don't care. But let me just tell you why we're doing this. One, it's because we want to see God move like never before. And, and, and I think this is something he's doing all over the globe. And I think this is something that we can partner in. 
and, and unified together so that around the clock, the furnace really becomes a prayer furnace. I, I hope that out of this, we begin sending out missionaries all over the world. Not, not strictly missionaries as we think, but people that will go on to be teachers, people that go on to be pastors, people that go on, that started in the place of prayer. And here's what the deal. In 2001, we started this thing. And a two-hour prayer meeting was forever. I mean, and some of you are like, it still is. <laughs> and over the years, I feel like We've continued moving and continued pressing. We've moved prayer meetings every day. We've had multiple prayer meetings in a day. We've, we've done last encounter, an encounter retreat in January. We had, a, we had a fire in the night where we prayed through the night. I feel like there's been, there's been little seeds planted of this. And, uh, and this summer, God just really instilled in Amy and I that this is the direction that we need to go. And, uh, and I don't know what's, what's going to happen. I don't. I'll tell you my hope. I'm just going to lay out my hope for this. My hope is that we start doing 18 hours a day this semester at some point. Uh, come January, I, want, I, I, I pray that we'll be going 24 hours a day. And, uh, and then come May, uh, my hope is that you guys don't want to stop. Uh, but, but ultimately, that's not on me. That's up to the Lord and, and, the, and the seeds he's going to plant in your heart. Um, and so that's what I wanted to do tonight. It's kind of a fun unveiling. It's been bottled up in me too long. And, uh, and so uh, and I, I'm excited to tell you about this. I think this is kind of the furnace 2.0 as we move forward. Uh, I, I hope that we are going to continue doing corporate prayer meetings because we believe in corporate prayer meetings. But I, want, I, I believe that it is, there's going to be power because ultimately the best discipleship you're going to get, and, and, and truthfully, the furnace is a discipleship program. The best discipleship you're going to get is from Jesus. And I believe that as you spend hours in, in, a, in a room with nothing but you, your Bible, and Jesus, he's going to be able to shape and mold your heart. I believe that this is the best thing for you in this program that we do this. Um, I believe that ultimately it's going to give us a heart to become the answers to our own prayers. Where we, we move forward and we, see some, we start sending you guys out. I think some of you will begin... Uh, you know, maybe you'll be around the furnace for a couple years and, and you finish up your degree at UCCS, but you're still wanting to be a part of the prayer room. And so you still come and give hours in prayer. I, I, don't, I don't know what God's going to do. It, it could be that come December, we say, man, that was a great month. We loved it. Come in January, we're going back to how things were. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is that this is what the Lord's leading us to do and we're going to be obedient and do it. So I'm gonna, I'll get you more of the details as, as we come up on it. Here's what I wanted to do tonight. I wanted to whet your appetite that it is happening. I couldn't keep it in any longer. A lot of you already knew about it uh, because I, I'm a blabbermouth. And so, um, but I'm excited about this. I really believe that this is what God is leading us to do. And so I encourage you to pray about this. Some of you are like, I have no, uh, I could care less about praying 24 hours a day. That's fine. You know, we're still gonna do corporate prayer meetings. Ultimately, not much is going to change other than that there's going to be someone in this building at all times praying. Um, but I, I want to encourage you to take this and pray about it and say, God, build this in me. Let, let this grow in me. There's great things you can read. I, I, I'm reading this book, The Lord of the Ring, not Rings, Ring. Um, it's a cheesy Christian play on words. And, uh, and, and it's about the Moravians. That's a great one. You can read your Bible. There's a lot in there about it. Um, imagine that. Uh, a lot of you have read uh, Red Moon Rising. That's another book about this happening. So anyway, I, I believe that continual prayer, and ultimately I think that that means us being praying at all times. I don't think when in, in Thessalonians when it says pray always, that that means that everyone is supposed to be a part of a 24-hour prayer room. Um, and ultimately, I don't care if it's 24 hours. I care that we are in the place of prayer, you and Jesus, and letting his heart burn in your heart. Does that make sense? And if we get to 24 hours because, because the Lord leads you to be a part and you want to take hours and that's where we go, awesome. If, uh, if that's where we go, that's where I, I'd love to see it go there. But, but that's not the expectation. The expectation is that we're going to start praying corporately and individually for a move of God on planet Earth, specifically in young people all over the world. To see God move. I know I went long tonight. It's because I had you dance around and sign up for retreat stuff. Um, I want us to be about persistent prayer. I want us to not give up. I think that partners 
with continual prayer. And I want us to be unified in our prayer. Those are three different kinds of prayers that I want to mark us as the furnace. Go ahead and stand with me. I want to pray for you. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.